Elite Physique University, your source for all things physique enhancement. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Elite Physique University. I'm John Gorman, one of your hosts today. We've got a whole slew of people to talk about blood flow restriction training, and I better start this off right. It's hot. It's summertime. We just finished up 4th of July, so it wouldn't be any any podcast without a nice white trash energy drink over here. So typically before we start, before we get to our very special guest, Jeremy Lenicky, we're going to go ahead and go over what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. Jason, I'm going to throw it to you, man. What's uh, what's new with you and how was your 4th? Uh, let's see. Just got back from vacation. Uh, took the fam to offshores. Um, kind of like, it's like Florida. I mean, basically it's just a little less of a drive. It's on the Gulf, Gulf of Mexico. Um, that was fun. Uh, I got to take my mom. I don't think she's been on a vacation in a really long time, at least seven days to a beach. That's for sure. Right. Um, so I got to unplug pretty decent. I mean, <clears throat> anymore, even when I say don't check in, like there's stuff from other businesses and I got to get on the computer. So like, I really don't see like a, just a complete unplug until I'm retired. Like, it's just, yeah. it happened. But like, you know, I didn't have to give up rush right to the computer and I could, you know, maybe get on at like 12 or something for an hour. And I was, you know, good. So anyways, it was good. It was, it was nice. Uh, but uh, we're back and, you know, honestly, I, I like my house. I like being here. So it's nice to travel away for seven days, but uh, I'm glad to be home and stuff like that. As far as business, uh, things are good. Um, you know, it's been a little slower in the June. I think people are just kind of, at least that's what I've found. I haven't really had a ton of sign-offs, maybe three or four. Uh, just was a slower June. Uh, I think people just are out doing their thing and uh, not worried about, you know, health and just some of those things as much, you know, following plans and things. So anyways, that's about it, man. I don't think I got anything else going. Okay. What about you? Um, how did your uh, 4th of July go, Kayla? Um, it was pretty chill. I yesterday did check-ins for the day. <laughs> so still had a work day. Um, but that was chill. I had a rest day, so that was nice, I guess. Um, and then we just went and watched fireworks last night, just down the road a little ways. And, um, so it was really chill and it was finally like home this last weekend for like the first weekend in like two and a half months, probably. Uh, so it was nice to just be home and catch up on things and just breathe a little bit with all the like stuff that was going on with my dad and everything. And then, um, so it's just been nice to be home and prep is going really well. Um, I dropped like three pounds this week, which was crazy. Uh, so we're like 12 weeks out last Saturday, which is like exciting, but still like a ways out, but it's kind of like crazy. Her, her to new about pick it. seems like she swallowed her old, old pig side by yeah. side. I'm like 10 pounds heavier then like where I started from my last off season and I'm like, this is cool. And I would have only been starting now at 12 weeks out. Cause last time Jason, we did a 12 week prep into my first show and this one we're doing 20. So it's cool. I'm excited. Really, really excited. Way to do 20. Cause we, uh, any of the listeners that, you know, haven't been following. We, Kayla has basically deload every fifth week. It's just a, it's just a rule for Kayla. So, cause I like yeah. to train really hard. So you have to pull her back. Yes. All right. Well, glad to hear that's going well. As far as me, I'll just keep mine real short. I did launch after a few years of people wanting me to launch a mentorship program. I really didn't want to do it 
in the traditional sense. So I launched my one-on-one extended learning fast track. And if you want to get in on that, my email's in the show notes. Basically, what I'm doing is taking people one-on-one, three to five people every single week. I've only got two spots left. It didn't it didn't take very long. And whatever topic you need to learn about, we have a video call every week, just me and one other person. That's the only way I wanted to help someone really fast track. I didn't want to do classes. I've done that before, but I wanted to just work with people one-on-one. And the way I look at it is if I had someone like us, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, even I would have fast tracked so much quicker. And that's what I'm trying to do with coaches. So I'm looking, we got two more spots, but I'm always going to have those three to five spots. And it's just something that I'll enjoy. So what they need to learn about insulin sensitivity, how to read labs, hell, if you need to peak your client or yourself, it doesn't matter. I teach you everything one-on-one every single week. So I did launch that. Other than that, um, coaching has been a little bit slow. It's that summertime in the fitness industry, whether you own a gym or you coach. But we did have a record month for fat muscle supplements. So that's that's kind of cool. Uh, wholesale through the roof. So we've got the gas pedal down on that. So it sounds like we're all doing great in July. But let's let's not delay this podcast anymore. This is one of the geekier podcasts that that we can do. And I say that in an affectionate way because it's what we love here. Um Jeremy Lenke, welcome to the show, man. If you would, just let everybody know a little bit more about you, and then we'll get into the topic. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Um, I'm an associate professor of health and exercise science at the University of Mississippi. I just finished my ninth year here. Um, I did my undergrad in exercise science at Southeast Missouri State. I did my uh, internship at the University of Illinois. That's where kind of blood flow restriction really started to to take off. Uh, I did my PhD at the prestigious University of Oklahoma, Boomer Sooner. Um, and yeah, I've been here for, you know, like I said, nine years. Um, been fortunate to um, work with some really good students, do a lot of good research. Um, did some bodybuilding a long time ago. Um, powerlifting as well. Mediocre on my best day. Uh, but I enjoyed the sport a long time ago, um, wrestled, uh, most of my life up, up through high school, you know, from kindergarten to high school. So, uh, have that as a background, uh, but yeah, uh, excited to be here today. Yeah, man, this is something to where we talked a little bit before the show started. Um, Kayla's going to have some good questions. She hasn't done a ton of this. Jason and I have done a lot of this blood flow restriction training over the years, every which way to Sunday, probably. And, you know, having you on the show in our world, in the physique enhancement world, to us, you're kind of the godfather of this whole thing. Um, If you would, tell us a little bit more about how you even got interested in blood flow restriction training. It was called occlusion (laughs) training at one point, right? Yep. Yeah, I think, you know, we kind of moved away from that term just because I think when people think about occlusion training, they think about kind of full arterial, no blood flow whatsoever. And that's not what yeah. this is. Um, <clears throat> I I came across this in probably 2007. I was an undergraduate student. I was reading, you know, some of the research articles trying to, you know, figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and do I want to go to grad school, you know? Uh, this and that. And as I told you kind of earlier, and some of you people have, some of the listeners probably heard this story before. I was reading some of the research and it was kind of, I was reading it as, you know, you're cutting off blood flow and good things are happening. So I was like, well, that doesn't 
seem like that makes sense to me whatsoever. So I probably am just not understanding what I'm reading. Uh, I went up to the University of Illinois. I did an internship up there in a muscle phys lab doing some animal research. Uh, at the time there, there were some you know, big time lifting going on in Champaign, Illinois. That's where Lane Norton was and a couple of other people. So I heard them kind of talking about this idea as well. So I was like, well, I'm like, maybe I was reading that correctly. So we started talking. I did some more reading, did my internship project, kind of on blood flow restriction and went back and did my master's thesis. And, you know, kind of the rest is history with that. Yeah, that's interesting. So back in the 2007, 2008 timeframe, that's, I know, Jason, you and I kind of got started there. When Jason, when did you first start to hear about blood flow restriction training? Was it back on the message boards, like back in the day? It was on the message boards for sure. Um, my timeline's a little it, weird, but I, I maybe it just got to me then. Uh, but I don't think I was trying. It's around 2010, somewhere around there. Yeah, I, I didn't really give it a shot till around around then, maybe 2010, 2011. Cliff Wilson, uh, another friend of ours, friend of the podcast and business partner of mine, he had suggested it to me to try. And I started reading some research on it, um, saw some articles and that. Jeremy, that's where I ran across you. Um, when you guys first started to bring this into the physique enhancement world, did people look like look at you like you had three fucking heads or what, what was the uh, consensus when you first started talking about this? Yeah, probably that we had some uh, drug habits would be my guess, uh, you know, kind of tying it off and into the gym, trying to really figure out what we were doing, you know, because the, you know, the issue was the problem that we had is, you know, we weren't, we didn't have any of these devices. So we were just trying to figure out a way to do it in the gym. Um, and to be honest, we probably did it pretty way too tight initially. Um, we probably were doing it uh, a lot of you know, a lot wrong at first trying to figure out what we were doing. Um, in fact, the first the first paper I ever published on it that actually was experimental, we actually did practical blood flow restriction. And, you know, when you are the first to do something, you can get away with kind of some less than thorough methods. So if you look at the methods of that paper, it's like we applied it snug. You know, that's not very scientific, um, but, you know, just trying to figure out the best way to do it for people like us who uh, are relatively healthy, who don't really have any overt, you know, signs of that they should be concerned with applying blood flow restriction. So how can we apply this in the gym to get some utility out of it? So we, you know, we started with knee wraps essentially. Yeah. And that, that's what I was going to say. If I can throw it back here, I know the first time I tried, it, I just took a knee wrap, cut it in half. And essentially what I thought the rule of thumb was you would wrap it around and, and you can go into detail if you would real quick about where to put it. But basically you, we would wrap it around on a one to 10 scale, about a seven snugness. Um, but give everybody an idea of like where they could apply that and what the knee wrap method looked like. Yeah. Um, and, and to be fair, you know, I think, I, I think it makes sense to be highly critical, uh, of people applying knee wraps in the gym to their arms um, right. or to be skeptical. I think that we've kind of moved away from that in the opposite extreme. Uh, we used to be super skeptical. Now we're not skeptical about anything. Everything yeah. goes. Um, yeah. So it, the pendulum swings, but yeah, I, I, with blood flow restriction, you know, how I recommend it is you apply the wrap at the top of the arm. So same place you would for the bicep. If you're doing chest press, even uh, very top of your arm or very top of your leg. Uh, that'll restrict blood flow 
distal to that cuff. And there could be some potential benefits, even proximal to the cuff. I mean, that's um, an idea. But, you know, when you apply the wrap or the cuff or whatever you're using, you only need to partially restrict blood flow. So blood flow is always going to be going into the limb. There's just not a lot of blood flow coming out of the limb. Um, and when you do this and you combine it with kind of low load exercise, so something that's around 20 or 30% of your max, you can see a lot of beneficial adaptations at the muscle level, um, even some vascular changes that you wouldn't normally see with the same workload without blood flow restriction. So if, if you would just walk somebody through, pretend you're in the gym with them right now, because we've got people listening that they're trying to do this in their mind's eye, Yeah, walk them through if they're going to train and they're going to do some bicep curls, right? So walk them through what to do, where to place it, and then what that what that's going to look like. Yeah, I think, you know, in a gym setting, you can get away with just, you know, experimenting and, and it doesn't have to be super precise. It'll take some time for you to figure out kind of uh, the best way to do it. Um, for me, I like to use kind of overall workload to give me an idea of, of the restriction of blood flow. So if you're going to do a bicep curl, you put the cuff at the very top of the arm, right? And you're going to wrap it off. If you're already in pain before you start, it's too tight. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the discomfort with this should come from the metabolites that build up from the exercise itself. So if you, if you apply it and you're not in pain, you're ready to start, right? So pick a weight that's around 20 or 30% of the most that you can do. Most people probably don't know what that is. So I would choose a relatively lightweight and shoot for around 30 repetitions in the first set. Um, if you can't even get close to that, then the wraps are either too tight or the load is too high, right? So I would use goal repetitions as a, as a way to kind of give me an idea of how much restriction is actually occurring. So if I know that I'm using a relatively lightweight, then I should be getting close to 30 repetitions. Um, and then the second and third and fourth sets, you should shoot for 15. You're probably not going to get it. You might get close on the second set. Maybe you get 10 on the third or eight on the, on the fourth. Uh, but you should use that as kind of a, kind of a goal. But if you can't even get close to 30 on the first set, the wraps are too tight or the load is too high. And and you're leaving the wraps on, say, say someone's going to do four sets of bicep curls. Uh, how long do you recommend uh, resting in between sets? I, I know that's an arbitrary number, but just to give somebody a starting point, how long would you recommend they, they wait between sets? And you are leaving the, the blood flow restriction bands on the whole time, correct? Right. Yeah. Uh, stay on the whole time until you get done with the exercise and take it off. Um the rest period that I typically use is around 30 seconds. So some yeah. people go up to a minute. So the 30 seconds to a minute, it's going to be uh, fine. I think the the next question always is, is well, how tight does it need to be? Um, you know, I, I gave you a, a workload as kind of an idea. Um, and, you know, what if you want to do bi uh, bilateral work? Do they need to be the exact same tightness? Is that going to be an issue if it's not? I think for people in the gym, I, I don't think it really matters. I think if you get approximately close. I think that's good enough, um, especially for muscle. We know that, you know, low to moderate pressures up to very high pressures elicit a very similar change in, in muscle size and strength. Um, there's not a, a big effect of pressure there using the loads that we're going to be using. Uh, when you get into some of the vascular adaptations, that might be a little bit different, but that's a, a little bit different and, and not something that 
uh, I think most people really care about if their muscles responding. Um, so yeah, I think we have some wiggle room. So for example, when we use, when we do experimental work and we actually know what pressure is being applied, we don't see a big difference between 40 and 80%. The muscle growth is very similar. So that, that, uh, that tells you right there that you have a little bit of wiggle room. You know, if you don't get it exactly right in the gym setting, it's probably fine. Um, but I think, you know, if you're working with a clinical population, that might be a little bit different, but I think for most able-bodied people just trying to do this in the gym, I don't know that it matters that it has to be that precise. This is, um, and I'm trying to think for the listener here to think of different questions to ask. And Jason and Kayla, if you guys have any, go ahead and chime in. I, I've one. got a couple. Okay, yeah, go, go ahead. Kayla, go ahead. I, I was just going to ask, like, you know, because being that I'm the younger person here, <laughs> um, younger people technically usually are like, oh, well, tighter's better, more is better, you know, things like that. So can you explain why you still want to have a little bit of that blood flow to go back into the muscle um, and not completely cut it off from there? Yeah, I think at least the way that I think about it is, um, you know, there could be some sort of effect to that cell swelling. Um, if you're, if you cut off blood flow completely, your the cell swelling is going to be affected. Um, I don't know how big of a role that actually has cell swelling. I, I think it might, I don't know how good of evidence that I have to support that, but I think the bigger thing would be if you cut off blood flow completely, your ability to do work, to actually make the muscle contract long enough to make it grow is probably going to be impacted. So I think that you know, having some blood flow going in is a, is a good thing. Um, plus we know that the, the tighter it gets, the more discomforting it, it's going to be. Uh, so, you know, if you can apply 40% and see some beneficial adaptations, that's going to be, uh, 40% of the pressure that is required to completely cease blood flow. That's what we typically use with muscle adaptations. Um, so it's going to be discomforting, but a lot less than that of 80%. Okay. So it's more so like you, you need to do the higher reps or more volume with this type of training to see the benefits from it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if you did a blood flow restriction and you did like four repetitions or five repetitions, you know, like three sets of five, I don't mm -hmm. think you're going to see very much. Um, right. but I, I, I do think you're right though, too, is that, you know, I think a lot of people have the tendency of, well, let me apply blood flow restriction, but I'm also going to use, you know, maybe 60% of my 1RM, right? Maybe 70% of my 1RM. And mm -hmm. at that point, the, you're not really augmenting the high load response. There might be a variety of reasons for that, but we don't have evidence that it's additive to high load exercise. So for me, you know, if you want to do 70%, you know, of your 1RM and you want to do higher load training, then then do that by all means. Um I like high load training myself, um, but adding blood flow restriction on top of that's not going to do, it's not going to add anything other than discomfort. Right. It just makes me think of when you say higher load and like you mentioned knee wraps, like I have a background in powerlifting as well. Yeah. And like, so I've done knee wrapping and stuff, but we wrap it as tight as possible. Yeah. So you can do Around like, yeah. yes, one or two reps, you know, so it's, different concepts sort of thing and you know if you look at powerlifters it's full strength and not necessarily just hypertrophy so it's just cool to see like the differences there yeah and the goals of those two things are, mm -hmm. are different too i think right one's more yes. support yeah 
Yep. Yeah. Good question. Mine was, and I might've just missed it, but it always seemed to make sense to me. And I don't remember if it was in the instructions online, but uh, to warm up and get the blood in there a bit before you put on the band, does that help at all? Does that make any sense or it doesn't really? I don't think it matters. I mean, you could, I mean, I think everybody's got their own different approach for me. Um, you're lifting such a light weight. I, I almost use like the, the, the first set. You could almost use that as a warm up. Um, so I, I don't, I think, you know, some people will train with a higher load to warm up, right. They're, they're doing kind of like this really intense warm up to then train with a lighter intensity, lower load. Uh, so for some people that makes sense. It doesn't really make that much sense to me. Um, but you know, I'm also kind of a, a pragmatist. I think people have their different approaches to how they prepare to work out in the gym. So if that's something that people, you know, feel like is, is important for them, um, that's how they kind of get in their, their mindset ready for that, for that activity. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. But there's no benefit to having the blood already trapped in there when you put the band on. I wouldn't think so. No. Okay. So I've got another question here. Um, I'm trying to take the listeners through what this looks like in the gym. With bodybuilding, a little bit's good. All of it's better, right? All the fucking protein, all the volume, like all the blood flow restriction. Let's just do it the whole workout, every single workout. Do you recommend people, I like to tell my folks that try it, hey, start with one exercise. Maybe you do leg extensions, you know, when you train legs and like get that process down. Um do you like to recommend that? And for advanced people, have you seen people doing multiple exercises in a workout and what's that look like? Yeah. Um, I think that's a good recommendation. You know, if you've never done it before. Um, and I think one of the things, you, the other things that you said too, is that, you know, the volume component. So, you know, the, from a muscle growth perspective, the muscle can only respond so much within a given training session. So if you've absolutely dismantled your quadriceps already um, and then you'd follow up and go, well, I'll finish the workout with uh, knee extension or leg extension with blood flow restriction. I don't know that that's going to squeeze anything extra out. It might. Um, I would probably just replace whatever something that you normally do with, you know, the leg extensions with blood flow restriction. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think starting with that first, before you start trying to chain together multiple exercises together, um, I think that makes a lot of sense to get, to, so you know how you're going to respond to that type of exercise. Um, now, as far as doing multiple exercises all under blood flow restriction, it's funny that we, when I first started doing blood flow restricted exercise at Oklahoma, that research, uh, that was actually some of the work that we were doing. We were doing some of the some acute cardiovascular work on kind of a, a blood flow restricted workout where you're doing like four or five exercises in a row. And it's pretty challenging. Um, now, we've kind of moved away from that because we started to, to kind of just move into a answering and asking very specific research questions that didn't require, you know, four exercises, you know, to be done. So... I, I think what a lot of times people want to know is like, what's the optimal way to, to apply like a total body workout, you know, based on the research, it's like, well, you're not going to really find anything because there's not very much done 
on linking multiple exercises together. Usually it's bicep curl, knee extension, squat, bench, you know, one exercise because there it's, you know, the way to think about research for the listener is it's usually to answer something very specific, you know, and it's testing a concept, not necessarily a personal training kind of thing. So um, I think if you wanted to start to link in multiple exercises, I think you could. Um, I've done that before, you know, but I, I would start with one and then maybe you go, well, then I'll do, I'll start with knee extension and then maybe I'll superset with leg curl. Um, and then maybe the calf raise. Uh, but I, I, after around three exercises or so, I probably take the cuffs off, you know, gave yourself a little bit of reperfusion. I don't know what your experience is. Um, I, you know, doing it now for almost 12 years, I know myself and Jason, you can chime in because I know you've done it quite a bit too. I got to the point where I was actually using it for pre-exhaustion as well. So I would start off with, with leg extensions, blood flow restricted to pre-exhaust and my quads would just blow up. And then I would go do the rest of my leg workout and I wouldn't have to use as much weight during the rest of my leg workout. I've got bad knees. So I'm like trying to keep, you know, keep off those as much as I can. So that's about as advanced as I got. Sometimes I would do some uh, blood flow restricted leg extensions, and then I would do ball squats later on in the workout. And I would add that a second time if I was just trying to keep more weight off of my knees. And, and I know we're going to get to talking about people with injuries and kind of where this plays a role and, and deloads and stuff like that. But what about you, Jason? Have you Use it multiple exercises. What's kind of your method that you like to use? I've done both. Um, but I don't think it was always my entire workout. I remember doing leg extension and then using it like in high rep leg press. So I'd go from leg extension to leg press. Um, and it seemed to work really well for me. But I, I, I didn't keep it on the whole entire time. You ever tried it on your calves? Because that's about the most brutal, excruciating thing I think that there is. Me personally, no, I, I really haven't. Um, but I, I would, um, but I did not. Uh, Jeremy, what's the uh, consensus on the pain tolerance for when people do it with calves? And I've heard of people not wrapping it below the knee. I've actually heard of people starting to now wrap it above the knee. I just don't. I don't get the same pump and the feel in the calves unless I wrap right below the knee. <laughs> Yeah, I think when we were experimenting early on, we were applying it right uh, at the knee, right above the calf, and it was excruciating for sure. Brutal. I think I think the, you know, I, I've moved to just applying the restriction at the very top of the leg only because it, there's a there's quite a bit more meat there, uh, you know, to just you know, from a safety perspective. Uh, I don't think there, you know, I don't think that there's you know you're necessarily going to die if you do it, you know, right above your calf. I think people can, can, can experiment with it and see what they think. But if it was me, I'd apply it at the top of the leg. Um, Cause I think you're still getting restriction down into the lower limb, but yeah, I think that the, the, the calf pain, you know, especially, especially when the, the wrap is, you know, kind of right, right at the knee is pretty excruciating. Yeah. Um, I was going to say there's two things I felt. Jason, it wasn't very long ago I saw a video of you getting into a very ice-cold bath. Yeah. And that feeling, 
that and I just took my first cold shower. We'll talk about it on another episode. But that the brutalness of it is I would associate those two things as like you have to be mentally tough to get through that shit. Um, that's how that's how tough it is for me anyway. I would say though, on the combination of the lifts, it, especially for people who are able-bodied, you know, pretty experienced lifters, you know, if they're going to try and do like, if they're going to try and take advantage of maybe an effect of the proximal to the cuff or proximal to the wrap, like let's say for the chest, which obviously isn't under blood flow restriction, but still in s- some limited data suggests that it still could grow, it could still grow. I would probably superset it with something that is under restriction like a tricep extension and then just go back and forth when i've done that the you know you start get that pump but also kind of mixed with a little bit of a cramp similar to the calf uh, i think you can kind of get that if you go back and forth with triceps and and, and chest press or bench press whatever and if you if you would go ahead and let the listeners know what's the research show because i think when it comes down to it most people on our end want to know Okay, so if I did blood flow restriction or if I just did the same traditional training, what's the differences in growth? Am I going to get more growth out of BFR? Is it going to be the same? Is it going to be less? Because, you know, a lot of people just say, "Uh, you know, I'm just going to work hard. You know, I I don't need to do. I had a bro tell me that I'm just going to work hard. I don't need to do that. And I'm like, hey, whatever. So what's kind of the research and the data tell us? Yeah, I I have kind of a similar attitude as you or similar response as you. It's I think it's a tool that you can use. Um, I think there are, are certain situations where more people, you know, maybe you're hurt or you're you're tired or you don't mentally have it, or maybe it makes more sense to use it that day. Or maybe you have some people who to try and keep themselves motivated for years on end, they like to kind of switch it up and use that as, you know, built into yeah. their training program. But then you might have other people who go, I, I don't care. Um, I only want to lift heavy weights. High load training is for me is is what I like. By all means, do that. Um, but I think, what does the research show? I think if you were to take, let's say, submaximal blood flow restricted exercise, you would see greater muscle growth than the same exercise with the same load, same repetitions without blood flow restriction, which highlights the treatment effect, right? But if you compare that to traditional high load exercise, the growth is going to be equivalent. It's going to be the same. So assuming that you're doing sufficient volume, which most people are. So yeah, it's not going to give you greater growth than traditional high load exercise. But if you were to do repetition matched, you know, 30% blood flow restricted exercise, it would be more unless you were taking it low load exercise to failure, which would require much more repetitions, but you would still see similar growth. So so, that, I think- so people don't need to worry about going backwards they don't need to worry about like they're going to grow using these methods right yeah for sure yeah um now one of the things that my mind has changed on is excuse me for strength for maximal strength Mm. um that's going to be best achieved lifting a high load right so i think most people i think that makes sense to them right so Blood flow restricted exercise will increase strength, but it's usually not to the same extent of that of high load exercise. Now, what I find when people get upset about low load exercise or blood flow restricted exercise, when people get fired up about it and talk about how it's useless, I think it's because people oftentimes think academics and researchers kind of oversell 
kind of low load exercise going. It's basically the same. Um, it's not the same, you know, with growth, it is with strength. It's not, it, it does increase strength, but high load exercise is absolutely dominant for maximal strength change for sure. But I think that most bodybuilders, or maybe, maybe I shouldn't say most, there, there are some people who like to do both. I think that at some point growth is the name of the game, not how strong you are. So think about this from a coaching perspective, Kayla, Jason, let's put our coaching hats on here and for our listeners that are coaches. And Jeremy, if you would answer on this as well, the best places that this will really, really shine. Um, Jason, I'm automatically thinking, you know, we've been driving home the message on deloads and uh, chronically elevated cortisol and, you know, Kayla's deloading every fifth week, right? To me, a deload seems like a really, really good place for something like this. Jason, is that what you're thinking? Is that some of the stuff starting to pop into your head on this? You know, it, it really could be um, with, you know, lower load to the CNS. Um, That's what I was thinking. So I'd have yeah. to control, you know, I, I don't think you could do 50 reps every every exercise and then still get the, the same effect. So, so, you know, volume has to be controlled too. But yeah, I think you could for sure. Yeah. Jeremy, is that anything that, that you've looked at as far as, you know, using it on deload weeks and places like that? That's something I've done in, my, in the past. I've used it. I've also, you know, gone through periods of time where I don't use it at all. Um, there's other times where, um, you know, I'd set up a program for me where, uh, you know, you have kind of a higher load day where you're doing more traditional movements. And then the next day you do a little bit lighter where some of that could be some blood flow restriction work as well. Or, you know, if you have programmed something along the lines of, I need to go in and really get after today lifting high loads. Uh, but you, you know, maybe I'm the only one who feels this, but sometimes when you go to the gym, it's like, I don't have the focus required to lift heavy yeah. weight today. Um, that could be a time to, to use it. Now, obviously that has to be, if you're doing that, if you're interested in competing in powerlifting and you're doing that every single time, then you're going to, you're probably going to lose. But for growth, I think you're going to be just fine or maintaining I, I, if, as well. Yeah. I mean, it comes in, John, and, you know, with the longevity, the, the older crowd too. I mean, yeah. you know, I don't have to, you know, as Jeremy said, I don't have to have a, a band on every time to slow down my reps and, feel the muscle work and, you know, not worry about my ego and, and build a body. Um, but it certainly, you know, could be another tool to help the the older crowd, especially maybe if you need to bring out some legs or something like that, you know, the knees aren't the best and things like that. So it could definitely help. I think it's probably prolong other careers, you know? Yeah. I think it's kind of, to me, it kind of falls in line with just high rep training also in general, just where you're trying to protect the joints. The older we get, the older our clients are getting and our listenership's getting. Um, Jeremy, I, I can't remember if it was you or someone else, but I remember hearing back in the day that this was done on people that were injured, maybe even some bedridden folks to where there was blood flow restriction done to a leg or an arm without exercise and just using blood flow restriction applied off and on helped hold on to muscle. Am I re recalling that correctly? Was there something like that out there? Yeah. Um, you know, and I was getting kind of ready to talk about that too, because I like to think about blood flow restriction as kind of three separate phases, but the first one is exactly what you said, where there's some data and, you know, there's only a little bit, but it does, you're right. It does exist. 
that applying blood flow restriction just by itself was able to slow down the loss of muscle atrophy and, and maintain muscle function. So you still lost muscle size uh, in response to ACL reconstruction, but you lost less muscle size. So it had a benefit. There are a couple studies that do show that. And, and if that is true, then I think that's huge. Um, and that's something I'm very interested in. I just don't have a good connection to study that myself. You, need, you really need to be in a hospital setting for that. Um, so you might be able to pick up on my, my caution with that. Um, I, I, I think there's something there. Um, there's just not a lot of work showing that, right? There are some studies, um, but it's the, the level of the, the amount of evidence we have for just applying blood flow restriction, no muscle contraction, uh, is very small. And I don't know why that is. Is that because other work has been done and it, and it didn't see a benefit, so they didn't publish it? Or is it just because it's very difficult to do those types of studies? So that those that does exist. So if you're in a situation where you can't do anything at all, you know, maybe there would be some utility in trying it out, applying blood flow restriction um, with the idea of trying to maintain some of that muscle bulk. Um, the second phase is where you can walk with a kind of a slow pace, right? Low intensity cycling, low intensity walking and, and see some benefit. There's a little bit more data that suggests that depending on the population. Um, I don't think that anybody in this call or any of your clients, unless they're hurt or going, is going to walk, you know, at 1.8 miles per hour with blood flow restriction, which was what the literature showed and see a benefit. I, I, don't, right. I just don't think that's going to happen unless you're hurt then maybe, and you can't lift weights at all, then maybe that's a, that's a strategy that you can use. But the most amount of evidence is with low load exercise or so resistance training with blood flow restriction. That's where there's almost no question at the muscle level, you know, it, it's beneficial The the other two, I think you could definitely make an argument, but, um, low load exercise with the resistance training, 100% increases muscle size comparable to high load exercise. Which is pretty interesting. And, you know, I know our listeners are out there wondering, okay, well, I can take a knee wrap and I can cut it in half. Or a lot of people are using some different devices. Do you have any specific that you can recommend? I've got the internet pulled up now, so I'll probably just go ahead and link those in the show notes. Or Kayla, if you want to get to it, one of us will. Uh, what do you recommend, Jeremy? I don't really have any in particular. I think it really depends upon what you're trying to do with it. If, if, if you really want to know what the pressure is or if you're working with the clinical population then you're going to want to you're going to want to have something that can measure the pressure applied um and there are devices out there that can do that um i'm more familiar with the research side of things um as far as able-bodied people which is probably most of the listeners and, and what we are uh, i think as long as you can get something where you can apply the restriction um you know that there's some uh i can't remember there's so many of them now um i don't think it really matters honestly as long as you can restrict blood flow into the limb and contract the muscle i i found a couple good ones uh i'll link them up here kayla if you found something as well we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and get that up there um 
But other other than that, what's new? What's new with the research? Is there anything that's changed uh, as we kind of wrap this up? Yeah. Um, I think what's new? I think one of the things that, you know, we're not the only ones, but other people have, have shown this as well, but we're starting to show this that, you know, blood flow restriction might have an impact on pain sensitivity. So um, it can reduce or actually it increases your, basically your pressure pain threshold. So it takes, uh, you can withstand more pain essentially. Now, is that a good thing? Um, we think so. Clinicians under certain circumstances might disagree and I would defer to them obviously under that. Uh, but some people have started to, to think about this from a clinical perspective where if you can do blood flow restriction before you go to therapy, maybe you can have a greater pain-free range of motion, get a better workout. Um, I think there's multiple different ways you could think about that. Uh, but that's one of the things that we've been uh, doing some recent work on because it's, it's just, that's an, that's a systemic effect. When we talk about muscle growth, muscle growth is very local to the muscle being trained. Uh, the, the pain response, if I, I can train my lower body and see it in my upper body, but the, the pain sensitivity changes. So I think that's a systemic beneficial effect. Uh, we just finished a, uh, pretty large study, about 190 participants, uh, where we showed that unilateral exercise with blood flow restriction actually had a cross-education effect. So, uh, there has been some suggestion that, that, that existed before. I think we had a, um, a little bit of a different design than the, some of the previous work. We had a non-exercise control. We had a high, we had a group doing high force contractions. Uh, but the only group that saw it was blood flow restriction, which we're still trying to think about and figure out. Uh, what that means is, is that if I train my right arm, but not my left arm, my left arm will increase strength. That's cross education. So even though your left arm's not doing anything, there can be a crossover effect. Typically, we think that that's going to be largely an effect of, of your uh, high force contractions. Um, but that's not what we found in this study. We found that we actually didn't see it with high force contractions. And that could be the modality of exercise that we use. We did hand grip exercise. Um, and the high force contractions may have not been of sufficient volume to see it. Uh, but we did see it in, with the blood flow restriction, which has some potential clinical uh, implications as well. So I would have thought, you know, if you're going to blood flow restrict your right arm and you're going to do bicep curls, maybe you would have saw some cross growth in the tricep of the same arm. I would have thought maybe something like that, but you're talking about the complete opposite arm. Um, have you ever seen growth in the tricep when, when you, you know, you know what I mean? Like the yeah. same body part or the same, same limb, but different body part. Um, not to bicep curls. Um, yeah. We, uh, and the cross education is with the, with strength, uh, not with hypertrophy, but, um, gotcha. yeah. Very interesting. Um, is there anything that you guys want to ask Jeremy before we close this down? This has been a nice, fun, short, quick episode. Um, just like BFR, get in and get it done. Um, let's not overcomplicate it. And I know it's something that people are going to, if they've never done it, you give it a try and it is something that spices up your training. Anytime we can do something new, uh, especially if you're doing the same exercise and you just slightly tweak it. I know it helps keep things new and that's always fun, exciting. Jason, Kayla, do you guys have any other questions about BFR? Uh, I was just going to say, you know, 
why don't we let our listeners know like what body parts are kind of the best to use this yeah way? yeah the the most studied ones are going to be you know the muscles that are distal to the cuff so like your quadriceps um in response to leg extension exercise bicep curl my guess would be um anything that's kind of any muscle group below the cuff or distal to the cuff where you can do it on a machine, I think it's probably going to be best. There, there is some work done on free weight exercise, but you know, you get pretty shaky there uh, towards the end. Um, I just prefer to, you know, I've done it on the bench press before, but typically I just prefer to, to do, you know, something on a machine uh, where I don't have to worry about that. And I think the, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, is there any safety concerns? Like, is there a population of people out there that do not need to blood flow restrict at all? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it has been successfully applied to clinical populations. So um, that's going to be over the oversight of clinicians, though. Um, I think if you have um, if you have some sort of condition, like maybe you have sickle cell, the sickle cell trait where yeah. Um, I'm not going to say that I know for a fact that it would be dangerous, but maybe it's just something you don't do. Um, that's where, you know, under hypoxic conditions, your the the red blood cell changes shape and it can cause you some problems. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's a that's maybe that's something. I think that there's some people who have concerns about uh certain people with cardiovascular disease or cardiovascular complications where maybe they might have a very hypersensitive metabol reflex to where maybe their blood pressure response to those metabolites is an exaggerated to what a normal person would be. Um, that's an idea. Um, I mean, but there is some work done in clinical populations. So I think you just have to kind of weigh those pros and cons. Um, I would say that, you know, you might have people I've, I've heard this for 15 years now. It's like, how could this be safe? You know, you're restricting blood flow, blood flow is good. And that's the kind of the first thought that I had as well. I think the way to think about it is, is the blood flow restriction is applied for a very short period of time, right? We're applying it for minutes, not for hours. If you were to apply it for hours, you'd probably have problems. We're also only partially restricting blood flow. So blood flow is always going into the limb, right? So um, it's not full occlusion and it's for minutes. Um and I think the way to think about it is, is that there's always going to be a risk involved, right? There is a risk. There's a risk to normal exercise. The question that I have is, is that does blood flow restriction increase that risk? And for most people, I don't think it does. I think the two of the things that we're most concerned about is muscle damage and blood clots. Uh, but those two variables do not appear to be, have their risk appreciably augmented when you apply blood flow restriction, assuming you do it appropriately, obviously. I'm a, I'm a fan of it. I know one thing that if you are listening and you give it a shot, especially if you start your workout, just start do bicep curls, every exercise after the cell swelling from that first exercise, especially when you take the bands off the cell swelling over the next five minutes is so nuts that you feel every bicep exercise even better after that. So even if it's a way to somewhat quote unquote cheat the system into a, a pre-exhaustion and a little better mind muscle connection, I've just had my best arm workouts period using BFR to start off. And 
I can't recommend it enough. I think it's great. I think the downside is very minimal and I just think our listeners should give it a shot. So check out the show notes. We've got, Kayla's got the link for some pretty good knee wraps that we found on Amazon. Of course, you can get a hold of any of us there. And Jeremy, we put your, your email in there as well. Um, and we'll link your social up. So, man, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. We really appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Yep. For myself, Kayla, Jason, and Jeremy, we're out of here. See you guys. Bye.